0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that wants to provide some comic relief this holiday season for when you're done yelling at your racist uncle. <laughs> Today we have Zoe, Olvida, and Laura. We're going to be talking about women in comedy, and we have two super amazing guests joining us, Kath Barbadoro and Kenise Mobley.
1: Whoa! welcome. Hi. (laughs) Hi, guys. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Thank you both for being here. We're really excited for the discussion. Uh, Before we dive in, if you both would like to give a little background on yourselves and maybe uh, talk a little about how you got into comedy.
2: Hi, I'm Kenise. I've been a stand-up comedian for about five years. I started in Boston and moved to New York uh, almost two years ago now. I got into comedy because I had always watched it as a child. So I watched Premium Blend and all of the Comedy Central presents, but I never, yeah, I never thought about like how one would go about doing it until I. <laughs> this is slightly embarrassing. I dated an open micer. And I was like, oh, I don't like what he's doing at all <laughs> for what I would want to do. And then I started listening to a lot of stand-up on, that's available on Spotify and all the related artists of all the related artists. And afterwards, I would just be like, uh, yeah, they're talking about this wrong or they should be talking about this <laughs> other thing. And I took all of my my, essential, my notes on what they should be doing and kind of crafted that into my first set.
1: Can I just say that I absolutely love that you took – did you say your your ex that you were dating was a man? Yes. He, I love that you took what you thought a man did, like, poorly, and you're like, I'm going to do this 100% better.
2: <laughs> yeah. And honestly, uh, he still does open mics, and I feel confident that I achieved that. I yes, am doing it seriously. better than
1: it.
3: <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Kath Barbadoro. I have been doing stand-up comedy for a little over eight years now. Um, I started in Austin, Texas, where I moved after I graduated from college, started doing open mics pretty much the week I moved in. And uh, I moved to New York around the same time as Knis uh, about a year and a half ago. So um, i also a huge comedy fan growing up, uh, loved stand-up, also was really into sketch and stuff like that. I remember... Like, the hardest I think I've ever laughed in my life was watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail at a sleepover in sixth grade. And it <laughs> yes. just, like, blew my mind. Like, it was <laughs> unbelievable to me that that was... You could make a movie like that. Like, that was allowed. And uh, I think I became a comedy fan kind of in short order after that. Um, like, Canise, I also didn't really think about doing it until a lot later. It definitely wasn't, like, a childhood dream or anything. Um, I realized it was something i wanted to try out and pursue when i was in college and it was about probably 2007 2008 and i saw john mulaney and uh he was probably in his mid-20s at the time i think i saw him on best week ever or something and something about him just really clicked for me where i was like oh that guy sounds like me that guy sounds like my friends uh and he's like around my age like oh this is actually a job that someone can have So I got really interested in it um, around that time, but I was going to school in rural Iowa, so there was nowhere (laughs) for me to perform. So when I graduated, I moved to Austin and just kind of hit the ground running and have been doing it ever since. Amazing.
4: So to me this you, you two are like superheroes S- stand-up comedy is like the hardest thing in the world so you all grow up watching premium blend and stuff like that I grew up watching A&E's evening at the improv because I'm probably at least a decade older than everyone on this call um <laughs> and like honestly when I see people get up on a stage and try to try to make people laugh to me that's the hardest thing I can imagine anybody doing um it's just it's like a superpower uh so that's why um that's why we were telling you earlier, we were fangirling over you two uh, all last week because I was like, I get to talk to comedians and ask them like how they get up on a stage and do what they do <laughs> yes. um, without passing out because I would pass out immediately if I ever even attempted to tell a joke, even to a of people, yeah. like, not even in, on a stage. Um, what There's one question I've always wanted to ask comedians and that is how do you deal, especially as a woman, I can't imagine doing this, How do you deal, um, and this question is to both of you, how do you deal with a hard audience? Like, how do you, is there a moment where you get up on a stage and you're like, shit, this is a shit audience (laughs) and this is gonna be super hard, and then what do you do?
2: Yeah, Kenice, do you wanna go first? Uh, Sure, so some of this, there are some circumstances that I think can lead to a bad audience, and that is maybe the show wasn't promoted and there just aren't a lot of people there. Or maybe it's a uh, hodgepodge of people who aren't particularly interested in comedy, but comedy is happening at them. Uh, mm. For those <laughs> things, like, you have to you have to kind of consider your audience in a certain way. So, like, I have been booked on things, and the person heard that I was funny, but they didn't necessarily hear kind of what my vibe was or what the bulk of my content is. Mm. So they book me for a room full of, like, 65-plus people <laughs> for a country convention, and that's really <laughs> not kind of what I'm putting out into the universe so just kind of (laughs) trying to meet them halfway is really important to me like okay so maybe I'm not going to do my 20 minute chunk on dicks and dick pics maybe (laughs) talk about like funny which is a great bit by the way (laughs) so wow okay that's that's for me but some like regardless of what you do sometimes despite all of your best intentions sometimes despite everyone's best intentions it's just gonna be a slog and (laughs) you just have to get used to the fact that that might happen.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It really is just sometimes you're just not going to get them and it's not their fault and it's not your fault. It's just that you're not, you just are at at an impasse and you both have to make the best of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that is a, a weird skill that you learn doing stand-up that maybe you wouldn't think about uh, if you haven't done it is that you learn to, um, Take the temperature of large groups of people in a really interesting way where you, you start to be able to intuit information about uh, an audience just from sort of watching them before the show, kind of what their energy is like. And then if you're not the first person on the show and you're watching other people go up and seeing how the crowd reacts to them, you can learn a lot of information from that. So sometimes that's as simple as like, OK, this crowd isn't laughing at anything. So this might be difficult. <laughs> Um, but sometimes it's a little more nuanced of like okay they seem to like this type of joke um, and they don't seem to like this type of joke you know like right. they this crowd is getting really excited when somebody goes blue and gets dirty um, and this crowd maybe tightens up when that happens or this crowd really seems to get a lot of uh, a charge out of like a misdirect or wordplay or something like that so you know I, I think that there's um, a lot you can do to sort of tailor your performance to the crowd that is there without pandering, um, without, you know, cheapening what you do. Um, I think it's really important when, as a comedian, to understand that your job is to entertain the people who came at, to the best of your ability, and you don't always get to choose what those people like. Um, yeah. But, you know, you you always want to be true to yourself and never do anything that you know, isn't funny to you. Um, But yeah, as much as you can do that, sometimes it just isn't going to work. And a a lot of times, like Kenny said, it's just a problem of not enough people there. And it can be really hard to resist being resentful to the people who are there. (laughs) If you're performing for an empty room of people who are only kind of half interested. Um, But you know, you got to give the people who came a good show to the best of your ability.
1: Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, want to yeah. echo wow. what um, Walita had said too because I have when I was first starting playing music, I played a lot of open mics and sometimes sometimes there were mixed open mics where like comics would go up and then musicians would go up and musicians have a way easier time at open mics because anyone can fucking clap for anyone like you can get <laughs> a clap from someone but you can't like elicit a laugh from someone. <laughs> it's it's such a different skill and y'all are like
2: braver than the truth. honestly.
1: I'm telling you. <laughs> it a, it's a superpower?
2: <laughs> I, 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 it's I will a, say I'd much rather do this than go to war. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Agreed. I'm interested to know, Kenice, what your experience was with this, because I feel like the thing I tell people a lot when they, you know, because a lot of people are really afraid of of public speaking and, and are just like, wow, I, I can't imagine ever doing that. Um, or maybe they're a little curious about it. And mm-hmm. I always tell people... You probably, when you first go up, are going to bomb and it's going to be terrible. But if you want to do it again, you'll know, even if you bomb. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's something innate that... It's like a bug and it'll get you. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a bug. It's a virus. It's bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome.
2: Yeah, I definitely, my first song was okay. Like it wasn't complete silence but it wasn't by any stretch like I would never show that to anybody but (laughs) after that first time I was like oh this is it like I had done other creative things in the past I went to film school like I thought maybe that was it uh but no like more than anything else I was like this oh this is the the environment that I want to be in this is the way I want to communicate the ideas that I'm interested in like it happened so quickly and I haven't stopped since I started
3: Yeah, I feel very much the same. I really felt like I had found my my medium and found my community for sure. Yeah.
4: Kinise, speaking of your film um, background, I I watched the short film you have about the woman um, who's like, I don't remember the name of the clip, but it's like that it's like a short five minute uh, video of like a woman who was like running for public office, but like She's kind of chill,
2: (laughs) not like super into it. She's like
4: playing it cool, (laughs) like
2: yeah, that was my friend Lillian Levain, or Lillian Devane, and uh, we were actually at a Red Lobster in Times Square just (laughs) chatting, Uh, and we were like, "Yeah, everyone's saying this, but like, what's the deal? Like, what what do they expect?" And so we just like quickly jotted it down and shot it the next weekend. I love being able to do that, but I think the thing that allows me to do it now is the comedians that I know. And like the fact that I have a better idea of like what's funny, if that makes sense. Yeah.
4: Well, that it was very funny. She was, <laughs> was like,
2: she was running for public office
4: and was like playing it cool to get votes. And like, <laughs> like she was not really into <laughs> it. Like, yeah,
2: vote, I'll vote, whatever. Yeah, I'll like, no, like,
4: yeah, it's fine. It's
2: I don't, fine. I don't even care if he cares. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So going back to kind of talking about audiences I wanted to talk about the political correctness debate that's I guess been amping up for the past few years with our political climate especially um Mm -hmm. and I hear it a lot amongst comedians like not wanting to feel censored in any way and like it's you know part of the job to make people laugh and that doesn't always entail like it's hard to cater your jokes all the time um but there's also been like certain comedians, I would say mostly white male ones who like no longer will perform at colleges because they think college students are just too sensitive. Um, And I do some improv and in improv classes, we talk about like, only punching up and not down, which for people who don't know, means like, it's okay to make fun of people as long as they have more power or status or more privileged than you. And making fun of people who are more marginalized or less privileged is in bad form, essentially. So I'm just I guess wondering what both of you think of that discussion. Is that something that ever like comes up when you're working on new stuff or have you gotten any like feedback from audiences about any specific jokes?
2: Uh, Sure. Yeah, I when I first heard a lot of people saying that or I saw coverage of comedians uh very famous like the most famous comedians in the world saying that they Mm -hmm. felt like they were being censored and that they couldn't perform at colleges because everyone was too sensitive when I first heard that I was like oh that just sounds really lazy to me like that sounds like you can't do the basic work of understanding different groups of people and it's not I have a friend who has a joke it's like it's not political correctness it's it's just actual correctness like you're trying to (laughs) call people out of their name or suggest certain characteristics are inherent to a particular group, and that's just literally incorrect. So doing some of that education, I do think that if you're able to play with those ideas in a way that is making a comment on them, uh, then that can be interesting. But I think a lot of people conflate saying the old-timey stereotype and actually making a comment on that old-timey stereotype.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that um, there certainly is. It. I think it's complicated because on the one hand, I don't think anybody's art is uh, so important as to uh, invalidate and hurt people. You right. know. Um, but I also do think that um, comedy is a subversive space, and it's a space where it has a lot of rhetorical power to um, kind of take people off their guard and change their minds about things. And that can be used for better or for worse. Right. So I do think that sometimes younger people um, I've I performed at some, some colleges and they're, they're super, super well-meaning and they're like very progressive and very, very well-intentioned, but they don't have the life experience to um, evaluate nuance and, and, So sometimes they'll hear a word in a joke or something and they'll just completely shut down or or get really uncomfortable. And I know that that comes from a really good place. And I think that's like a very desirable quality in young people because they will eventually have enough life experience to evaluate things in a more nuanced way. But right when they're young, they don't have that. And they just want to make sure that they're doing right by everybody. So I I don't fault them for it at all. I I think that it's a very narcissistic thing for a comedian to go into a performance and have that experience and then blame the audience. Um, You know, like I was saying uh, for the last question about hard audiences and stuff, like your job is to entertain the people who are there and it's never really their fault if they don't find you funny. Um, It's your job if you're trying to make a comment on racism or sexism or whatever it's your job to make it very clear that you're making a comment on it and not that you're just parodying parodying this uh, regressive idea and calling it satire. You know what I mean? Um, So if people don't understand that that's what you're doing, that's your fault. That's something that you need to work on as a comedian. And I think sometimes people who aren't skilled enough comics try to take on these bigger issues and it ends up not working because they're not good enough to express themselves it's such a complicated thing to express and to make funny at the same time you know it's not something everybody can do and that's okay so I guess I'm sorry I'm rambling now but (laughs) no
0: sorry no no it's a good answer
3: especially (laughs) like I mean yeah yeah, I agree with like both
0: elements of that Um, just I guess for me one thing is when like Comics become really defensive about material that people right. complain about, especially when it, you know, is actually problematic, especially yeah. like men making sexual assault jokes and stuff like that. Like, if you can't make jokes that aren't an actual problem, like you're maybe not that funny. Yeah,
4: <laughs> they're not funny. You're right. Like, I, I immediately think about I immediately think about like, oh, like that's it's like- very lazy. Yeah, it's like Joe Rogan or Dennis Miller. It's like you, you're just not funny. That's why nobody laughs at you. You're, you're mean. You're bullies. Your jokes don't make
2: any sense. I think also well, they, like, there's a – like in anything, there are trends in clothing. In the 70s, everyone was wearing bell-bottoms, and people don't really wear bell-bottoms like that anymore, or some people do. But these people <laughs> came up in a very particular comedy environment, and their type of comedy is no longer the – prominent type of comedy that most people are doing yeah. so it is frustrating that they're like oh pc da 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 but it's also like there are comedians out there who have been doing this for a long time who have been able to adjust and you're not adjusting so it, this, I'm yeah. sorry, this is just going back to the it just feels kind of lazy specifically with those two people that you mentioned like change it up then <laughs> like yeah, <right. laughs> do something yeah new. Like, I, we've all seen montages for any sort of sports movie where they encounter some sort of defeat and then they're like, Oh, I wasn't thinking about this new thing or, Oh, I need to change up my strategy. Like those comedians need a montage that helps them (laughs) change and update. Yes.
3: I do think a lot of it is just insecurity with aging out of relevance. I, I think that's a big part of it. The other thing that I find very insulting when comedians get defensive about it is like, you should be able to have a thoughtful defense of your work. If your work has any value, you should be putting thought into it. So, you know, and maybe that thought is, like, here's why I don't think this is a valid criticism. I think that that is, like, if that's a defensible position you can take with your work, then that's fine. But that's very different than going, oh, these PC social justice warriors or whatever. Because when you do that, you're also throwing out a lot of very valid critique. So... It's just—it's sort of offensive to me as a comedian because I feel like it takes the craft lightly. You know, like if you—you you can't just wave all this off and say it's just a joke. I'm just trying to make people laugh. Right. If they're not right. laughing, they have to be laughing at it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yelling at the audience
4: for not laughing at your jokes—I—I got to imagine that. <laughs> like, how do you not
2: take that as a
4: comment on your own, on your own abilities as a, as a
2: comedian? yeah that's that i find highly unappealing
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, i find screaming. any kind of aggression in in stand-up kind of unappealing i really don't yeah. like yeah and i think that's like one of the things that it being so male dominated for so long is like kind of a turnoff for a lot of people is Absolutely. it's a lot of like men blustering and that's not mm-hmm. or screaming
1: funny. or screaming yeah. like into a microphone it's like, okay <laughs> yeah. calm down dude <laughs> Just take, take it easy So I live in Buffalo, New York, which is, uh, I think about 10 years behind most other comedy scenes in the country. (laughs) Um, I do have a dear friend who's like kind of breaking into the comedy scene. He's doing some good stuff, but so that means I've been at a lot of open mics
2: because of that. I'm sorry. Very very good friend. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds terrible.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't make anyone... I wouldn't make my worst enemy go to an open mic. I know.
1: (laughs) The thing is, like, I really do care about this person. And they are funny. So I'm like, okay. But then I start to get so angry at these fucking assholes who are just spewing nonsense into the world. And it's funny because, like, they have no power, right? Like, they're fucking doing open mic nights in Buffalo, New York. But they... They are like and they're, you know, I guess victim to the entire society that raised them to think that what the fuck they're spewing out is is humor. But what it what a lot of these (laughs) (laughs) topics kind of made me think about is I happened to be in a really weird situation where I was in a small house show that was a comedy house show and there were um, seven of us there. And this guy started just saying the most misogynistic, fucking shit. And because there were, n- I was one of two women in the room. I just started like heckling the shit out of him because I was like, "We're in a tiny room. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see <laughs> I'm right you.
4: Here. Yeah, like,
1: <laughs> this is not gonna fly." But then I think about like, so for me, I'm like, I feel good about like attacking it in that specific situation but when we you know expand that out to the situation that y'all are talking about where like these men who have kind of like gr- like been heralded as comics for so long and then it's like actually that shit is fucked up like don't do that uh that has like a whole different thing and it's like how do we heckle them
4: <laughs> right you don't give them gigs anymore not watch them yeah
3: i I, I think like the way that i've because you know i i mean I'm sure Kenice will attest to this too. I, as a comedian, I've sat through hours and hours of f- disgusting misogyny and racism, and you mm-hmm. know all this horrible stuff at open mics. And even that's coming from a comedy scene that is fairly good to women. The Austin comedy scene is like women have played like a very prominent role in positions of power there, which has been very helpful. But even that, you know, there's still all kinds of stuff. But I, I think the The easiest thing to do is a lot of these people do want a reaction out of people. They want to provoke. That's the only, because they know they're not funny on some level. And (laughs) so they know that people aren't going to laugh. So like, well, maybe I can make people mad. Mm -hmm. And then I can, that I can get my sort of my serotonin uh, going and like this adrenaline rush from pissing people off. So like, my thing is I just, stonewall them like vote with your laughter if you can't vote mm. with your dollar if you're an open mic or something don't give them anything we walk out yeah. of the room
2: you know that's what I do that's, yeah that's what, I'm always like mm, this is about the time where I'm gonna go get a drink and I yeah. will look them in their face and I will continue walking towards the door because yeah I don't have to listen at <laughs> shit.
3: Yeah. yeah that I that is the biggest thing because that to me more even more than a heckle most of the time will really crush a comedian spirit is <laughs> if, if you look at them and then <laughs> like get up guys. And walk out like that, they will notice that. And that <laughs> will hurt them more than a heckle because in a lot of comedians' minds, if you heckle, you're automatically in the wrong. Even if you're yeah. heckling because mm. the person on stage is a total asshole, they'll still feel like they're, how dare you interrupt my performance? Mm. Whereas if you walk out, they can't do anything about that. Yeah, and uh, they're gonna feel it, and they're gonna go home and cry. So mm-hmm. definitely <laughs> walk out.
4: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Make them cry.
3: Okay. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I worked at a comedy theater for a little while, and one of the, my duties, being the front desk person, was like signing people in for open mics. Um, and it was the same group of men mostly that came in pretty much every night, and uh. It wasn't a fun job. Yeah. <laughs> they they were like, so grim. Yeah. Once t- the one like lost his journal and then he was like freaking out and screaming at me because I didn't stop that someone from taking tick. it in the thing. And I was like, dude, it might be a favor to you that someone just stole all your jokes. Right. I've,
3: I've seen you <laughs> perform. No one wants your awful joke. No <laughs> yeah. <book. Someone laughs> stole it on purpose <laughs> just
0: so that you would stop, though. They didn't want it.
2: <sighs>
0: so, yeah. Uh, it be-
4: thanks. Um, speaking of comedians, uh, what, um, (laughs) so I, I don't know if you, if y'all listen to the show, we, we, we do talk a lot about politics, um, culture, history, that kind of thing. And I find myself these days watching a lot more comedy than I have in the last couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. it's really my favorite art form. It's like my favorite thing to watch and go see live. Um, and I know the, like, comedians that I really like to watch, and I like to see. Who do you all like to watch these days? Maybe, I mean, maybe I don't, I'm not up to speed on, like, the new awesome, hilarious comedians. We're
2: talking to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I do really genuinely enjoy uh, watching cat, but... Uh,
3: far... Likewise, Canise, I was going to say, you're, like, Canise is one of the people in the city where if i have to follow her i'm like okay here we go like <laughs> not after her like i better bring my a-game because she's gonna crush uh- oh,
2: thank you. <laughs> you guys can't see me right now but i am doing a little dance that feels really oh, yes. <laughs> yes yes women
4: lifting oh, yes. women up <laughs> <laughs> yes i do i definitely urge all listeners to please if you can't like if you don't live in the new york area and can't go see them um there are some clips of of their stuff on youtube and it is just great it is really really great maybe maybe i can get you all to come to chicago where i am one day we'll see okay if i can get i'd love to let's do it yeah. be- <laughs> hey walida you're producing a show <laughs>
2: all right
4: i have no idea how to do it i'll figure it out whatever I'll
2: kind yeah of we'll talk it'll be great we'll talk. Um, certainly some of the comedians that made me want to get into comedy, like it's surreal. And also like, I don't know, it just makes me giddy that like the people that I looked up to whose names I knew before I ever set foot on stage, like are just around, like yeah. and you can just see them and talk to them. And they're, so, I mean, some of them are normal, but some of them aren't like, <laughs> like I, I've seen Janine Garofalo like a million times and I'm like, oh God. you guys, are, she's, great. she's just walking around and like, I have access to say words to her. That's insane. <laughs> what? And like Gary Goldman is, and he like, he, he maybe because he hasn't been in a bunch of movies or whatever, but, like, I think he's one of the funniest people on the planet. And like, I have just had conversations with him and it, it's insane <laughs> to me.
3: He's someone I was gonna bring up as, um, cause one of the questions you wanted to ask us was like, who's a comics comic? I feel like Gary Goleman is not in the sense that he has like a super niche appeal. I think he has very broad appeal, but a lot of people who don't work in comedy don't know him. He is so funny. Oh Oh, my God, that guy is funny. Yeah.
4: I actually have seen him. I haven't seen him live, but I've seen his stuff. I think he's been on Comedy Central a few times. And last Comic Standing maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is actually, he's also very funny. I yeah, didn't it, realize he would be like a comedian's comedian. That's interesting.
2: Like he, oh my gosh. So he uh, is from Massachusetts and there's a small, uh, well, it's like a smaller venue called the comedy studio. And he just like would start dropping in and it was like, like everyone just would kind of stand still because no one knew what to do that this like person we all looked up to was just in our small corner of the world. It was, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me
3: <laughs> we had that in austin ron white would would drop in a lot and oh, uh,
4: i know him He's he, awesome.
3: <laughs> again like when i'm thinking about comedians comedians there's t- sort of two ways to look at this right you have like your alt comedians and your um people who are maybe a little weirder who I think that's what most people think of when they think of comedians comedian. But I also think that um, if you're into like weird art stuff anyway, you probably already know and like those people. right. Whereas working as a comedian, I feel like there are some comics who I probably wouldn't appreciate if I wasn't doing stand-up. It didn't have such a like uh, I, if I wasn't such a nerd about like the craft of comedy, I maybe they wouldn't be to my taste. But because I do this, I, like, fucking love them. And Ron White is that to me. Like, he, oh. he's someone who I probably would have overlooked if I didn't do this. Because I would have been, like, oh, blue-collar comedy tour,
2: like, southern He Who's accents, my favorite on that tour? Like, without yeah. a doubt. Oh, I yeah. I loved his whole vibe. I was, like, this guy seems cool. Those other guys, not so cool. much.
4: He's so he's smart. Like, he's, like, smokes on stage. And, like, yes. you know, like he, he talks about much more sophisticated stuff than the other yes.
2: here's-your-sign
4: guy
3: or get-her-done
4: or whatever the hell.
3: Well, he's my all about, right like, yeah. He's one of the only people I've seen who are working at his level who can actually make funny jokes about being rich. Like, (laughs) most people who try to do that, it doesn't work for me. And I'm just like, your problems are totally non-relatable and (laughs) I'm mad at you. But Ron White, for some reason, he can tell a story about, like, being on a yacht and it's, like, the funniest shit ever. He's, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, I hope I have that problem someday.
2: Yes, (laughs) I it's like, oh my god, she's like the best. You haven't heard of her. She has a lot of money somehow. She can be <laughs> left alone as she does her life, but...
3: <laughs> and she can still be funny about it. It's great. Yeah. Oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> One day. One day. I believe in you both.
3: I also like... One more person I want to shout out. Um, I like a lot of comedy that's like very different from my style, I think, because I can watch it and be less academic about it, because I'm not like thinking about, like, well... How much better is this person than me? How can I be? That? You know what I mean, <laughs> right? Um, so I really like uh, Chris Fleming. He's a Boston guy, right? Yeah. You know, who he's Gail. Yes, Gail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he does like weird character stuff, and I just find him so funny. He, yeah, he has this character named Gail, who's like a like authoritarian fascist soccer mom who's like amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> He, he has this song called I'm Afraid to Talk to Men that's like, I <laughs> listen to like once a week. I don't know, I just wanted to shout him out that he's amazing and people might not know him, so look him up.
2: Yeah, he's very funny. His videos are often super funny. There's one that my friends and I reference constantly, which is like, why is it never who you want it to be as far as polyamory is concerned? Like, why yeah. is it never, <laughs> it's like, what's with these haircuts? Like, how does, like, <laughs> You have to watch the video, I'm not doing it justice, but it's really great and it made me laugh so hard.
3: There's oh a really God. good joke in that one where he says that um, like, the only couples that have like a worse, like more aggressive vibe than poly couples are board game couples. Yeah, he's the best. Oh my God.
4: I'm laughing hard because my partner and I are a, bo- are a board game couple. So. <laughs> It's
2: true. It's all true. Watch, watch, watch the video. See, see what
0: you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a question specifically for Kath um, about the paid protest shows that you organize, uh, which are monthly shows that benefit various DSA working groups. And I think a lot of our listeners are in DSA, so, <laughs> our related topic. Um, I've been to a few of the shows. I moved to New York in June, um, and actually Welcome. at the first one, yeah. thank you. At the first one I went to, Kathy, you were working the door, and I keep um, condoms and cash in like this back pocket of my fanny pack, and I like started handing you a condom, um, <laughs> and then was just like, "aha," oh, and I, I knew who you were. Um, I was like, "Oh my god!" Um, so
3: hey, that was me. That's
4: um,
3: so funny. Um, <laughs> um, but... That's very normal for those shows. There's usually somebody <laughs> giving out free condoms at those shows. So well, was, you're fine. I think I should have donated it.
0: It was like the it was going to the feminist uh, working group that week. And I was like, you
3: know, maybe I should have just left the condom
0: there, but <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, those shows have been really fun. So I um that show's been running for a while before I came on board as a co-producer. There's like a little group of us that that co-produce it. It's um uh, Anders, Raga Mehta, um Alex Patak and me run it and uh Anders Lee and uh yeah it's it's really fun I really like doing them because I feel like as a comedian and as a performer I I want to um like promote the things that I feel passionately about but I also think that I'm like a terrible uh figurehead for any of these organizations (laughs) like I think it would be a really terrible idea if I were any kind of you know, public facing like spokesperson in any one of these groups, even though I do have like a little bit of an audience just because I'm a comedian and like we were talking about like comedians say stupid things a lot and I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Um, so I, I really like doing those shows because it feels like, okay, this is the one thing I know how to do. I know how to do stand-up and I know how to run a comedy show. So being able to do those things and to provide a lot of really good comics, Kinesis done the show, Um, The stage time is really good. And it's good with people who are intelligent and sensitive and, you know, aren't gonna go for offensive asshole jokes. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, so it's nice to be able to do that and then have it, you know, the money go to people who aren't like me and who are smart and good decision makers (laughs) and can figure out what to do with the money. So Yeah, um, they're once a month at Mayday Space, if any listeners are in New York. uh, We have a Twitter paid protest where we put up show announcements and stuff like that. Yeah, they're
0: super fun. I guess, well, since now I know that Kinesis has also done it, I'll ask both of you, um, do you notice a difference? Um, Like, do you tailor the stuff at all, knowing that the crowd is all going to be socialist? Or do you just, you know, fly with what you already have? Like, how does that, I guess, fit into what we were talking about with audiences? Because you kind of know what you're getting into there.
3: Um, I do. We have a joke that, like, at the beginning of the show, that we, when we go up and do, like, the sh- show announcements and stuff, we make a big thing of, like, you're allowed to laugh. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that, it's sometimes... the same joke every time, and I crack up at it every time. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they can be a little tight, and again, it's the same thing I was saying with college kids, where it's, like, it's a super well-meaning tightness, so I don't, like, begrudge people for being a little bit, like, just not super relaxed right away. But I think once they see the comics that we book who are all very good and who are all not going to like be awful yeah. <laughs> either at comedy or saying horrible, hateful things, they ease up and they, they are uh, a really good audience and they, they like smart stuff. So if you have jokes that maybe don't work at a, at a comedy club, cause they require a little bit more um, focus or attention from the audience. That's a good place to do them. I think.
2: I would agree with that. I've the time I've done the show, it was definitely like, oh, these people, I don't have to I don't have to slow down for them. I don't have to explain or do any maneuvering so that they get what I'm saying. These people get it.
0: Yeah. 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 I feel like at those shows I'm more uh open to laughing. So I'm like, oh, I'm surrounded by like minded people and like they're here for a good cause. So I'm like more trusting of those people and just yeah.
3: That's nice. awesome. I like That's those really shows
4: great
1: a lot. to hear. Yeah. Hell yeah. Do
4: you um, tend to these days, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a psychotic billionaire who's president right now. He's very dumb. He's the oh, dumbest shit. person I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I didn't what? hear about this. <laughs> yeah, it's, you don't need to know any more than that. It's all, literally
3: all you need to know. Um, I was going to say, tell me more, but then I was like, wait, no, please never. I just want
1: to information. <laughs> like, about. literally never, ever uh-huh. talk to me about this. <laughs> no.
4: It's, yeah, it's not really happening. So, um you know people are getting a little uh, riled up around the country they're they're getting a little bit more political uh they're getting a little more crazy and dumb um and you know all the political comedy i watched was in the 90s and everybody was happy in the 90s like it was bill clinton <laughs> with the president you know there was a surplus there was like a surplus. Democrats controlled the House for a little bit, but then not so much anymore. But it's fine because it was Bill Clinton was president. Everyone was making money, and the internet became a thing. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Um, this like makes yeah. my heart hurt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Like everyone hated Newt Gingrich because he was me to Chelsea. It was just a great, beautiful <laughs> decade of bliss and ignorance. And then um, mostly you know, ignorance. Mostly <laughs> ignorance overwhelmingly. Um, but like, I feel like political comedy these days, I don't even, I don't know. Do you, do you find, do you do political comedy at all? Do you find yourselves sort of doing peripheral, like just going around the periphery of, of political comedy is, do you think it's like harder these days to bring politics into your comedy? I'm curious about that.
3: I think that there's sort of two ways to look at what political comedy is and what political comedy is for. And I think a lot of times when we talk about political comedy, we're talking about comedy about politicians. And I I don't I think that is very difficult to do now. Um, obviously, Trump is like his own comedic genre at this point. And there's there are people doing wonderful uh, Trump, like the the President Show with Anthony, I can't pronounce his last name. He his Trump impression's great. I it's really funny, um, but that's like its own thing. But I I think that like comedy about politics in the way that it was done in the nineties is very very difficult to do now um, because people's hackles are immediately raised in a way that they used to not be I think Mm, Um, among other reasons why it's a lot harder just that uh, it's so fucking bleak right now (laughs) Um, I I think I don't know I I find it very difficult to do I I tend to get angry when I talk about that stuff on stage and as I've already said I don't find anger to be very funny so it's not something I, I do but I think the other way to look at political comedy is to look at comedy that makes fun of or comments on power structures in society and you know being a woman uh I I think that when I talk about my life that can be political and I I definitely don't shy away from that and I definitely make jokes about that kind of stuff um I I do a fair amount of like gender-ish stuff in in my work weirdly i lately i've noticed in the last like six months to a year i've been writing a lot about masculinity as opposed to femininity which is like kind of weird um especially for a female comedian i think that like people don't uh necessarily expect that and it's not something that i did consciously but then i was looking back through my jokes and i was like oh all these jokes are about how i think being a man is weird that's weird <laughs> <laughs> and it is but yeah, it I, really I think is that, <laughs> Well, the thing—the thing I said on stage a while ago that I, it's not really a joke yet—but I was like, I think the reason I'm doing it is because being a woman is horrible, uh, but being a man is stupid, and that's way <laughs> funnier to me to be stupid. <laughs> so, yeah,
4: yeah, they're definitely more stupid.
3: <laughs> I was—I
4: uh, was actually saying—I okay. was saying the other day how like the dumbest. I was just reading random Twitter bullshit. And I was like, you know, the dumbest guy in every rich family in America is in charge of our entire government right now. Like yeah. the dumbest <laughs> sibling who they couldn't turn into an efficient capitalist. They're like, here, go be in government. <laughs> <And now laughs> they're all running a show. Yeah, it's obnoxious. Can what <laughs> about you? What do you think?
2: Uh, so I don't do, like – Kind of how Kat said, I don't do jokes about politicians or the president, but I've been called political simply because, yeah, I'm talking about my life and I'm a black female and that stuff. I guess people automatically add politics to.
3: Kanis has a great white slavery joke. Is
2: what <laughs> <said>. <laughs> yes. I love kick out of that so much. To just see, like, who in the audience is okay with that? And who in the audience is like, Initially upset by it, and then they realize, okay, maybe, maybe I don't need to be upset by this. Uh, Yeah, I. It's very silly. I do tell people that I will enslave them. I love it.
1: Well, it's it's also like I feel like kind of something you're tapping into is sometimes our identities like make what we're doing political. Also, right? Like a friend of mine who I went to college with, Nikki Black, does comedy, and um, she's had a double mastectomy. And she talks about that on stage, and also like how men were like, "Oh, the the best pair of tits in Philly are are gone now," and like this stupid shit that she's like yeah. endured, um, but then makes into like brilliant fucking comedy, and is out in L.A. now. Um, she like being and having that experience can sometimes make your comedy inherently political. So I do think what y'all are both saying is like you're tapping into that experience because that's also your experience
2: yeah
3: yeah i think that being particularly in a male-dominated field like being a woman uh you know or, or a woman of color and going on stage and talking about your experience people are going to that's kind of a political act you know um whether we want it to be or not and sometimes it really sucks that it's a political act because we just want to be funny and not you know have to deal with all this other bullshit (laughs)
4: yeah
3: but it can be exciting too like like you said uh with that joke like you see people initially uncomfortable and then get like start to loosen up and start to laugh like that's a really powerful thing i think when you can make somebody who initially is like, well, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know about this lady telling me about white slavery. And then they, and then finding that funny. Like, I think that's really cool and, awesome. and exciting. Uh,
1: white
3: slavery is hilarious.
1: Well, that actually like makes me think about, we, we had a, our first like sex work and solidarity episode we had on here was with, um, A queer black woman who was a dom and she talked about how like for her being in that experience of like being able to like subvert that system through her work was so powerful as well yeah I think there's a lot of cool cool ways to tap into that
2: yeah I have a lot of people that would use her services I don't know I'm on dating apps (laughs) and it is insane to me the number of white dudes who are just like subjugate me and I'm like I don't even know you like, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> like her name yeah.
1: is Mistress Velvet okay I'll
2: send, I'll, I'm <laughs> literally just going to send them her way like, yes.
1: <laughs> amazing thank you Zoe I know you wanted to okay. talk on this yeah sorry I'm hesitating because
0: I'm about to get scholarly and I was deciding if I want to <laughs> <laughs> please do I like it I like this question okay. so much Okay. i'm i'm a scholar of gender and sexuality that's what one of my degrees are in so i can't i can't stop um <laughs> but i took a masculinity studies class um and we read a lot of michael kimmel who's one of the lead masculinity studies uh, professors um and he wrote that boys learn to devalue all women in society as living embodiments of the traits they learn to despise in themselves um, and talking about how that starts as young as elementary school when boys are praised as, like, the class clowns and girls are often policed to, like, be quiet and submissive until it's not ladylike to, like, act silly or kind of act like the boys do. Um, mm-hmm. And that's often becomes evident later in people mocking, like, a lot of women's humor, like period jokes or dating humor because um, we're socialized think that, like, the crude male humor is what's funny and that women are just, like, complaining and so then women get ridiculed if their jokes are like too masculine because then they're trying too hard to be like men but then if their jokes are like more i'm using i'm just quoting everything i'm saying basically sarcastically <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. um but if
0: they're like too feminine then it's that's also a problem and it's kind of just like a madonna or whore dichotomy where women can't really win no matter what um so I don't have uh, a specific question, just kind of wanted to um, bring Respond. it up. And, yeah, I guess another part of that is that um, comedy has been dominated by men because they have more access to disposable income historically and currently. Um, and comedy can be expensive, um, like paying for open mics and if you want like workshops or classes um, and going to shows to get that kind of experience. Um, so it's harder for women to break in and then also harder for women once they are in the scene. Um, so yeah, just thoughts.
2: (laughs) I I read that when you you sent over the document, I, I actually got into comedy because unlike film, it didn't feel as though it had that much of a barrier to entry as far Mm -hmm. as finances are concerned, Mm -hmm. like to make a film. Oh my God. It was like, Hey, uh thankfully, the people in your class, well, they all come from money. So they're able to make a 10,000, 20,000, in one case, $60,000 thesis film, but you, they, the school gives you a thousand dollars. And I was like, well, I have literally no more than that. Uh, (laughs) so we're going to have to make my creative vision work within that a thousand dollar thing. And so when I started going to comedy, a lot of the mics I was, I was going to weren't paid mics. So it did feel like Oh, my gosh, this is such a relief uh, mm. that I don't have to have like a huge investment to be able to do this creative thing that I like. Mm. Um, and because there are a lot of free mics and there are opportunities to perform without paying, I didn't see that as much of an entry or a barrier to entry. More so, like okay, so this is what's been relayed to me both from dudes and from other female comedians. but, Kath, I really would like to hear your perspective on this. Like dudes book who they'd want to hang out with, and women aren't for hanging out with, women are for fucking. So mm-hmm. like why I was would actually,
0: that- yeah, the Danish comedian Sophie Hagen had um she wrote about how uh this uh booker or producer like canceled her on his show because he said that he wanted to fuck her like too badly and he had a girlfriend or something like that. Oh so he was yeah. afraid mm. to have her on his show. That's <laughs> so totally yeah, I've heard stuff like that before. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think that um the main barrier to entry stuff is not necessarily financial. Um th- I, I think there certainly is a financial barrier in the sense of like time management. And a lot of times, you know, if you're if you have to work uh certain types of jobs, like you're not gonna be able to get out and because there's a huge time commitment, especially when you start in order to yeah. get out comedy. And not everybody can make that time commitment because, you know, maybe they have kids maybe they have a service job where they're working those hours like that kind of stuff um but mics tend to be free um most places you can find you can find free places to go up if you live in or near a city um which i i think the fact that the barrier to entry is a lot more subtle than that is makes it really hard to combat um I definitely see that with like dudes book who they want to hang out with. Like that is very much a thing. Um, people booking their friends and there are like whole subsections of comedy where dudes have like no female friends. And so those women don't get booked. Um, the biggest thing I see, though, and I I was really frustrated about this at various points in my career. Um, there seems to be like a system of mentorship with uh, yes. established like male comedians and younger male comedians because... It's like these middle-aged dudes who are like, "Oh, you remind me of me, 25-year-old. Like, let me show you the ropes and take you under my wing." Whereas a middle-aged man can't do that with a 25-year-old woman without it being creepy. And if they do do that, a lot of times it is creepy. Yeah. So that I think is a huge detriment to women in this industry is because a lot of times like when you get your start, it's you go out on the road with a headliner and You know, a married guy in his 40s is not going to ask a 25 year old woman to open for him um, where he will for a man. And, you know, like that cuts out a lot of work for us. Um, I really appreciate there are some male comedians who are like very explicit about like, I want women on my show. Um, and a lot of like more established female comedians will do that too. And I really appreciate that. But I think it's a huge problem and um, it's one that is really hard to eradicate and that I don't think enough people talk about.
2: Mm. Agreed. Yeah, I'm, about I'm regularly shocked at the people who like, and this isn't to speak ill of them, like talent wise they're fine, but they're getting all of these breaks because, Oh, well I was hanging out with, yeah. this headliner, and I was hanging out with this headliner and I'm like, where is all this hanging out happening? Like, I right. guys doing like, I not that they should like, wait a second, let me pick up the phone and call Kenise Mobley, who I don't know. But <laughs> it, it definitely feels like, okay, this is a system that I don't get to be a part of. And right. I don't know how to change that.
3: Yeah, it, it really feels like a part of the industry that we're kind of shut out of. Like, not that we can't network, but it's different when you're just like, drinking buddies in a bar like there were definitely male headliners like people who I really love and respect in comedy who would come to Austin and like just hang out with the dudes and Mm. they were you know and a lot of those dudes ended up featuring for them and and I didn't get that opportunity and it's you know it's frustrating Um, I want to go back to the the first part of uh, what you said um, about the like boys learning to devalue women because they're what they the traits that they despise in themselves and all that stuff. Um I I have noticed and I, this is sort of my working theory on this, right? So stand up is very male dominated. Obviously, we've been talking about that. Yeah. And there are all <laughs> these problems that that come from this. Um and I want more women to do stand up. I would love 50 50. You know, I would love 100%. Why not get rid of all men? Of like, get rid um... of them all. It is not
1: their turn to talk anymore. <laughs> yeah. When Yay. the revolution comes, when the
4: revolution comes, right. only women on stage.
3: But I think, like, because of how men and women are socialized, like, I think they're probably, unless things change very dramatically, they're always going to be more men because mm. men, women aren't taught to value humor in, in themselves. And, you know, like, when a lot of times, like, if someone says, like, a woman is funny, it means that they laugh at all the guys jokes, it doesn't mean that they're making jokes of their own. And if they do, they're often ignored. So I I feel like I knew so many, like, weird, creative, funny girls growing up. And then around, like, late middle school, high school, they sort of stopped being that way. They sort of stopped, like, nurturing that side of themselves. And it's really sad when I think about it, because I I've, you know, that's that's a huge generalization. And, like the funniest people I know in my personal life who don't do stand-up are pretty much all women. Like mm. women absolutely have this capacity for humor for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's just not something that is seen as particularly valuable. And so I think that um that's a big reason why there just are way more men in this industry. And you know just the inherent like narcissism of like I should get on a stage and tell people okay, like, <laughs> yes, always yeah. Gonna try to
2: yeah.
0: But, yeah, just thinking everything you have to say is important. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Amazing. I just want the I want the confidence of a of, of white man for like a week. Just yeah. the confidence walking through the world. <sighs> oh, so much done. <laughs> I guess recognizing
0: the uh, irony of asking this question on this episode, but I'm wondering, like you were talking about being left out of certain um, like connections and spaces. Do you often find yourselves being asked to do shows that are like women's comedy or like, you know, like black comics, like shows that are just like more niche groups? Is that something that you like to do, or is it kind of like eye roll because why are they separated? (laughs)
3: <laughs> I feel like I've been talking a lot. Can you, do you want to go first? Uh,
2: you You've been talking uh, an exactly appropriate amount. I don't. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> your, um, your assessment is wrong. Um, okay. So I have experienced those shows. I've been asked to do those shows. And it's only useful if you're actually providing opportunities. So it mm. kills me that it's just like... Hey, we have a showcase show where industry shows up, and that's a thing. But separately, we have a black show, or separately, we have a woman Mm. show. And it's Mm. put in the time slot that nobody was coming anyway, and we're not really going to support it. Like, That's what frustrates me. If they were saying, hey, and I think the Women in Comedy Festival does this, this is a festival for women, and we have industry come, and we showcase different voices, and that's the intent, so that these people are able to advance then i have absolutely no problem with it and i'm like actually thank you i feel like this is doing some sort of good uh, but yeah there's just been way too many of those types of shows where it was just like well w- we tried everything else let's try <laughs> women i guess and the show doesn't do well and they're like i see well it's women and it's like this what are you what are you talking about and, uh, <laughs> sorry i have a lot of frustration around that Kath, what are your thoughts
3: yeah no that's a really good point that i probably wouldn't wouldn't have thought of um yeah, marketing it as, like, some sort of amazing, gracious move by the venue or the club yeah. or something. And then not even having it be for anything, lead to anything other than, you know, your, your five bucks if you're lucky for a guest spot or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it depends. I think a lot of it depends on how it's marketed and who's putting it on. I mean, those things can be very patronizing, but they can also be really nice. And... um I think, you know, like we, you were talking about uh, going to paid protest and feeling like a lot more relaxed there because you knew that the comics had at least somewhat been vetted to not be like total monsters. Yeah. So I think that it's I, I think that it is nice because comedy, it's not like music where it's not often broken down into genres. And so people just see a flyer that says comedy and they go and you you never know if it's going to be something you like or not. Um So it's nice to be able to market something of like, hey, you like funny women? You're a woman and you're tired of watching men? Like, come to the show. Hey, you're sick of listening to white comics be boring? Come to this uh, black show. (laughs) Like, that, I think, makes sense and would hopefully attract an audience who is going to be particularly appreciative. Um, But at the same time, like I said, they can often also be very patronizing and very, like he said, put in a time slot where it's like you're basically just ghettoizing this group of people. You're not really mm. helping yeah. them or, yeah. um, even being able to draw an audience for them. So yeah, it, it, it depends. Awesome. Those are great answers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, amazing. How can people support y'all? How can people support what you're doing and how can people see you perform?
3: Yeah, I'm going to be, if you're listening in Philadelphia, I'm going to be at the Philly Helium December 2nd. Um, I'm featuring for Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. So (laughs) so that'll be interesting. Um, Yeah, come to that. Uh, I have three podcasts, which is too many, but um, they're all about (laughs) different things. So just pick one to listen to. I do What a Time to Be Alive, which is like a topical um, comedy, uh, weird news story type thing. Uh, I do Splania, which is about pro wrestling. And then I do Lie, Cheat and Steal, which is like true crime about frauds and scams and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, check those out. And I'm Kath Barbadoro on like all the social media stuff.
1: Amazing. And we'll link to that
2: for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. I just do one podcast like a loser. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
1: It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I feel like no, there's the pressure on. I got to start more podcasts. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I do person about town where uh, I will go with a guest to their favorite place in the city and we'll talk about it. And sometimes we do uh, just a general interview, but then sometimes we do a love about town where we talk about sex, dating, and relationships. It's really fun. Check it out. Uh, the the episodes are released kind of intermittently because it's all me and i am busy so sorry about that no can Uh, no
1: sorry we can only identify with that
2: okay (laughs) i was like i'd love to do it weekly uh but i have a full-time day job and i'm sleepy so it's an issue um well that is why we have
0: six hosts working together to do this (laughs) oh my god yes
2: i I need to find five other people (laughs) (laughs) And finally, I can make my dreams come true. Um, So uh, you can find me on the internet at Kenies Mobley on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you are in the New York area on December 6th, please come to the Bell House. It is the Janelle James Comedy Festival. She took over for the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival. And it's got people that I looked up to. So like David Cross is on the show. I think Eugene Merman is on the show. For some reason, I am also there. So, yeah, it's a whole thing. Please come.
3: Yeah, My birthday
0: is on December 7th. So now I'm going to make someone take me to that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to that. That sounds great. Oh, my I'll God, we
1: Okay, we'll be there. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Thanks, well, thank, guys. Thank you both so much for just taking your time this evening to speak with us. And um, we really appreciate you being on Season of the Bitch.
2: Huh. Thank you. Thank you yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Well, that is our show. We are super stoked to have talked with um, our two amazing guests. Please, you know, check them out on the internet. They are hilarious. Um, As always, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. It's time for that holiday spirit. (laughs) You can get your Season of the Bee merch (laughs) at (laughs) seasonofthebee.com. Uh, you should do that like now, though, because I do buy a sweatshirt merch, and it <laughs> takes me a minute, takes a little bit of time. Uh, <laughs> and the post office has gotten a lot of things wrong before. So if you want things in time for the holiday, like get on that. Anyhow, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, slide us some money on Patreon because we love doing this and we would love to do this more. <laughs> That's all. That's what we got. (laughs) Thank you both so much for like organizing this whole thing. I just have to say that like this is the first one that our two new hosts organized together. Ah, This thing they did together. I feel so. That was my
4: first intro. (laughs) Yes. And it was great. And you want to know something funny? Is I so on our like list of episodes that we were gonna have, I had put like randomly down in the notes, like women in comedy episode and then in the next column put in um Kath's name as one of the comedians we could have on and then totally forgot about it and then Zoe was like you know we should get Kath Barbadora on the show I was like oh my god I have a it's on the list (laughs) yeah and then
0: what (laughs) Zoe did was Zoe got stoned and
1: decided to twitter dm uh (laughs) some of her icons amazing yeah. and, and here we are it, it worked, worked out great. so well f- for all of <laughs> and us This whole time, but, i
3: was just very anxious to be talking to them
1: <laughs> well i could tell that i was like zoe you're doing great <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: i was like i don't
1: okay anyway I, yes. I i can't talk to people i look up to it's amazing <laughs> you're doing great but i love you both and i'm so glad that you're part of this. <laughs> well, I love, yeah. love you I love you bye bye I- the bitch